If you have your Bibles, get to Romans chapter 7. We're going to be starting in verse 21. And the Ruth is going to read um, first in Spanish. In Spanish. And then in English. And then in Greek. No, I don't know Greek yet. Oh, okay, okay. Ken taught us Greek last week. I thought you had it. So go ahead. I'll be reading in Spanish first. Así que queriendo yo hacer el bien, hallo esta ley que el mal está en mí. Porque según el hombre inferior, me, de, me deleito en la ley de Dios. Pero veo otra ley en mis miembros que se revela contra la ley de mi mente y que me lleva cautivo a la ley del pecado que está en mis miembros. Miserable de mí, ¿quién me librará de este cuerpo de muerte? Gracias doy a Dios por Jesucristo Señor nuestro, así que yo mismo con la mente sirvo a la ley de Dios, mas con la carne a la ley del pecado. So I find it to be the law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be God through, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Amen. Amen. That's God's holy, infallible word, and we give thanksgiving to the Lord for it. Uh, before I start, I want to uh, give honor where honor is due. I want to thank my brother Kim Berry for his uh, great exposition of God's word and uh, holding up the Lord Jesus Christ last week. If you are not here, he preached on the new new. And uh, once they upload it, I'm going to encourage you to go and listen to it. It was a powerful sermon. And uh, he has a lot on his plate, um, but when we need him, um, he's always ready and willing uh, to preach God's word. So make sure you show him some love uh, after this. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know we live in a crazy and dark world. The reality is we don't even know just how dark the world is. From selfishness to injustice to oppression to things that happen that none of us really know anything about. None of us can calculate the totality of evil in the world. Imagine for a moment if you could take all the evil in the world and put it in some measuring tool. Let's take a measuring cup for an example. How wide and how deep would it have to be to contain all the evil in the world? Second, what would the results be? What would it actually measure up to? Well, here's a small window into how immeasurable it would be. Three years ago, 2016, humanity dedicated well over four and a half billion hours to watching porn on one porn site. On that single website, humanity spent twice as much time viewing porn in a year as it has spent existing on planet Earth. 
The site had over 90 billion videos views, viewed and 44,000 visitors every minute of every day. It all adds up to over 500,000 years worth of porn consumed in a span of 12 months. Since 2015, human beings have spent one million years watching porn. Porn seems to be America's favorite pastime. The porn industry is worth $97 billion, which is almost 100 times higher than the $750 million it was worth 20 years ago. Today, porn grosses more in a year than Hollywood. It also brings in more money than the NFL, NBA, MLB combined. And this is just the porn industry. We have no idea just how evil the world is. But the world is one thing. On the other hand, what is even scarier is we have no idea just how evil we are individually. We don't know the depth of our own depravity. Jeremiah 17, 9 states it this way. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Let me read that again. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You read this and now you know why you shouldn't say, I'll just follow my heart. <laughs> right off a cliff. And it's a good saying. It sounds good. Uh, but it's deceiving. But one of the benefits about being saved is coming to grips increasingly and daily with the fact of how depraved you really are. In fact, one of the marks of, a, of spiritual maturity is the spiritual ability to look in your own mirror, not someone else's mirror, but to look in your own mirror and to see just how vile, wicked, and detestable you really are. Now, some of you may say, I didn't come to church to be insulted, but um, hey, it, hey, it is what it is. What I like about our text today is Paul gets his Michael Jackson all the way on. In this text, he is not talking to his neighbor, but the apostle himself confronts the enemy in the mirror. In chapter 7, Paul has been laboring to show us just how jacked up he is in this hope in hope that we may see just how jacked up we are. The apostle takes it upon himself and say, let me put myself on front street. Let me put myself out there. I ain't going to talk about anybody else. I'm going to talk about me for a second in hope that it will free others to take a look at themselves. Or as Michael Jackson says, I'm talking to the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm asking him to, I almost moonwalk when I said that. I'm asking him to change his ways, but I'm not going to moonwalk. I got on my Jodeci boots, so I'll probably do something else. <laughs> Nick, whack, patty, whack, give a dog. I'm on. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> because in hope that we may see just how jacked up we are. Why, Paul? Because you can't understand how much you need God until you understand just how jacked up you truly are. 
If you don't understand how messed up you are, you may say, I need God a little bit. I need God here and there. I need God when times are bad. But when you understand how jacked up you really are, you begin to come to grips with the fact that, God, I need you daily. Every hour, I need you. In our text today, Paul comes to the conclusion he is wretched. She wretched. He wretched. They got all kind of songs out about that. Some of you have not been here, so let me summarize to you what Paul has been trying to convey for almost the entire chapter of Romans 7. If you have been attending for the last month and a half, you know Paul has been dealing with the man in the mirror. Essentially, Paul has been repeating himself in verses 14 through 24. The first time he talks about himself is in verses 14 and 17. And the second time he talks about himself, it's in verses 18 through 20. And then the third time he talks about himself is in verses 21 through 24. Each of these sections, if paid close attention to, begins with the problem. Paul, what is the problem? Number one, but I am of the flesh, sowed under sin. Paul declares in verse 14 of chapter 7 that he sowed under sin. And then number two, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. And now I know some of y'all having a hard time with that because you're cute. You got your hair done. You got your muscle shirt on. You've been in the gym. You're looking good. And you said, Dexter, there got to be some good stuff that dwells in me. But Paul says there's nothing good that dwells in him. That is in my flesh. Then he goes on, number three. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, Evil lies close at hand. Are you starting to relate to him already? When I want to do right, there's evil right there with me. Then, after that, each section provides a description of the conflict. Number one, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Talk to us, Paul. The other conflict, he says, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I have the desire, I want to do what's right, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And then watch this. Number three, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Then after that, each section ends with why the problem exists and pay very close attention. He says, number one, sin that dwells within me, sin that dwells within me. What's the other problem, Paul? Sin that dwells within me. And then in verse 24, this body of death. Now, what distinguishes these three sections? In section one, he states the matter with the man in the mirror in general. Paul gives a general statement. Y'all, I'm jacked up. Period, point blank, bottom line, I'm a messed up dude. And then in section two, he's like, listen, I'm not just saying I'm jacked up. I keep doing the thing that I do not want to do. 
I'm a messed up man. And then in the last section, Paul has discovered something that completely brings him to his knees. He finds within his own strength, it is impossible for him to do the good he wants to do. I don't know about you, but somebody says the Bible is not relevant. That's relevant. He comes to this conclusion, in my own strength and in my own power, I cannot do the good that I want to do. It is impossible for me. And friends, I don't care how holy you think you are this morning. I don't care how long you've been in Christ. And I don't care how many times they put you up under the waters of baptism. And some of y'all been under that quite a few times. Went down the dry devil, came up a wet one, but that's all right. We're not going to judge you. But it doesn't matter how many times you've been baptized. Every believer struggles with sin daily. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Every believer struggles with sin daily. The Bible calls it indwelling sin. Let me help you out. Indwelling sin is the old us, the flesh that was dethroned by Christ in our B.C. In our B.C., before Christ, sin ruled and reigned in our lives. We should our faith in Jesus Christ. God reconciles us to himself by the blood of Jesus. All of my sins is forgiven. The Holy Spirit comes within. Sin is now dethroned, and Jesus Christ is on the throne. You missed your shout. Jesus Christ on Oh, y'all ain't getting excited enough. I said that Jesus Christ is on the throne. But though he's on the throne, sin still wants him off the throne. And in our AD, he defeated Shonuff. Y'all remember who Shonuff is, right? There he is, that brother right there. The last dragon. I wouldn't want to mess with him. But in our AD, in our AD, Jesus defeated him. But Shonuff is still dangerous even when he is weak. Sin, my friends, is continually working to pull you away from God. Let me say that again. The goal of sin is to pull you away from God. Sin doesn't really care about anything else. Pull you away from God. But we must come to grips with this. We are not pure. Paul says this in verse 21. Look at the verse. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Here Paul has discovered something every believer needs to be aware of. Here it is. That no matter how good your motives are, they are not pure. Paul says he finds this law. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me, close at hand, in my face. Everything we do, even as saved people, is tainted with sin. Just like there is no such thing as pure water, there is no such thing as pure motives or actions. And you say, what? No pure water. I've, when I buy my water, it says pure water. 
on a water bottle. I seen it. I read it. I say it's a pure drinking water. They lying to you. They lying and the truth is not in them. Most water drinking companies, when they reference pure water, they are emphasizing the bacteria content and not the chemical contaminant concentrations. There is no such thing as pure water. No such thing, but I'm going to drink this water up here, though. <laughs> the very concept of pure water is misleading. Pure water does not exist in nature. What does it mean to be pure? It means not to mix or adulterate, or not, not to mix or adulterate with any other substance or material. In other words, no matter what the label says, the water is mixed with things that is not water, and therefore it is not pure. So wherever the water bottle goes, so does the other substances. Friends, I don't care how holy and pure they say they are. I don't care how much white you put on. There are no pure Christians or pure motives. A failure to acknowledge that evil is still present in the child of God can make a shipwreck of a person's life. We have got to come to grips with the fact that sin contaminates everything. Now, we may be further in our sanctification than Ice Mountain, but Dasani is still contaminated. You know how we get. What kind of Christian? I'm an Aquafina Christian. I done moved up a level. I used to be Ice Mountain, but I didn't, you know, God didn't sent me through some trials. And, you know, I just can't be around them Ice Mountain Christians because they're a little bit too contaminated. But some of us, we can't grip with ourselves. I ain't even Ice Mountain. I'm mud water. If you, if, if you were to watch my life, if you've seen the things that I did, you'll understand. Paul comes to grip, and what does he say? I'm wicked more than anyone else. We compare ourselves to the Ice Mountain section, and some of us put ourselves in the Aquafina section, and some of us put ourselves in the, in the Fuji section. Yeah, 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 Fuji people. Fuji, bougie, that's what it is. Fuji and bougie. Uh-huh, I came up from the, you, you know, from, 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 from the sky. I came down from heaven. I'm that rainwater. I'm pure. Uh-huh, that's that new-new. What it do-do, uh-huh. There is always one eye on my glory in everything that I do. And when we live for our glory, it's sin. I read somewhere that rain is the purest form of water. And that has nothing to do with the sermon, but I have to throw it in. Like I say, look at God. They're still trying to figure out how to do it, and God already got it. Paul says he is the one who wishes to do good. Again, the word there is thelo. He has determined in his will to do good. In other words, Paul says, when I wake up out of my bed before my feet hit the floor, I've set in my mind that I'm going to obey God. I'm going to do his will. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to pray more. And before I brush my teeth, I done messed up already. All right, y'all acting holy like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. So let's go on and play this out, and let's get real up in here and drop the mask because we're not going to be playing games this morning. This past week, we all celebrated New Year's. Happy New Year to everybody, by the way. Uh, Monday, many of us were determined that 2019 
It's not going to be like 2018. You got out of your bed and you declare. 2019, I'm telling you right now, you're not going to be like 2018. Some of us was praying and probably speaking in tongues and doing backflips. And here it is, six days later. And 2019 is looking a whole lot like 2018. Some of us determined in 2019, oh, I'm going to pray more. You ain't prayed all week. Five days later, and most of us have already slid back into 2018. What happened? Seeing presence is in you. Wouldn't you like to watch Bird Box instead of pray? That is the worst movie. Please do not watch that movie. I'm still trying to get a sermon illustration out of it, and I can't figure it out. I'm like, my eyes closed. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, that, but that's how it be. You be like, I'm going to pray, and then what does seeing do? Don't you want to watch Bird Box? Everybody talking about Bird Box. Won't you go and watch Bird Box? You pray later. Next thing you know, what are you doing? Sleeping. How about I'm going to give tithe? I'm, I'm going to give and tithe this year. What happened when the plate came around? I got to go to the bathroom. That's why we had the deacons outside the bathroom when you come out. Hey, man, we don't want you to miss your opportunity. That's all. That's all. But here comes sin. I'm going to give. And then sin says what? Couldn't you use that money for something else? How about a new pair of Jordans? How about a bill? Hmm? How about a vacation? Is anybody relating to me this morning? intentions to do well, and here comes sin whispering in my ear. You know what? I'm going to go home, and I'm going to wash the dishes for my wife. Man, that pot been sitting on the stove. You know how long it's going to take you to wash that pot? <laughs> Don't you want to go to bed? She'll be all right. She'll get it. <laughs> Buy her some Brillo pads, and she'll be all right. Go on, do it. But that's how sin creeps in on us. What about I'm not going to worry anymore. And then in a split second, everything that you can worry about floods into your mind. Sin is so real. But on the other hand, don't you find it strange that you can scroll through Facebook without any thought all day long? There it is, three hours later. You, <laughs> you done got into all kind of debates and arguments. You're upset. Your spouse like, what's wrong with you? Leave me alone. What well, I ain't do nothing. Him downstairs. No, just him on Facebook keep messing with me. Some of y'all need to get off them Facebook battles. Y'all be, y'all be going to war. People be falling out. They ain't friends no more. They done unfriended each other. They ain't talking at church. Some of y'all sitting on this side. Some of y'all sitting on the other side. Y'all need to get that Facebook love back. But sin does that. But when it comes to doing something spiritually profitable without thinking, you find yourself doing something else. This is what Paul is saying. No matter how pure I try to be, I find this contamination in me, sin, scratching and clawing and trying to pull me away from the living God. But here's the thing that we must understand, because oftentimes it is easy for us 
to understand good and bad. But oftentimes, sin does not trip us up with what is evil. It trips us up with what is good. We are so inclined to ask the simple question, is something good or bad? We say, is it sin or not? A lot of times people come to my office, pastor, tell me, is it right or wrong? And I'm like, hold on, there's levels to this thing. And if it's not wrong, then I can do it, right? Pastor, I can do it. There's nothing wrong with it. But we do not ask this question. Is it profitable for my spiritual walk? Is it profitable for my spiritual walk? A simple example is how we use our time. Our choice to do something is by definition the choice not to do other things. Indwelling sin will fill our minds and calendars with all matters of social acceptable priorities if they can display, displace good means of grace in our lives. Is it wrong to watch Netflix? Is it wrong to watch Bird Box? I don't know. I'm still debating. Is it wrong to put your kids in activities? But maybe so. If it never allows you to have family devotions, if it sucks your weekends where you never can go to church, if your son and daughter graduates from the top of their class, a star on the basketball team, but doesn't know the gospel, who's winning? Some things out of stinging, church. Indwelling sin always plays the long game. Its goal isn't necessarily to win today, but to win someday. Sin plays the long game with us. Many of us are so busy, we have no time to serve God, no money to give God, no margin for much of the kingdom of God. There's something to be said when Bible study and prayer are the least attended services in church. And the same few people are serving every week. And I believe that many of us determine in our soul and in our hearts to serve God and to give to God and to pray to God and to be devoted and to love our neighbor. But before we know it, sin has pulled us away with good things. With good things. Before we know it, our schedule is so full with good things that we ain't got time for God. What is sin doing? Watch this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Watch this carefully. Leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called what? Today. That none of you may be heartened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let's get real here. You're doing all of these good things. You're doing all these things for your family. And have you ever looked up and said, where is my affection for God? This love, this zeal, where is it? Sin desires to pull you away and harden your heart before the Lord. Because here's the key. You want to weaken an animal? You keep him from eating and he'll get weak. So what does sin do? Let me pull you away from devotions. Let me pull you away from prayer. These means of grace by which God strengthens us. 
And the less we do them, the less time we spend with him, the less we know the Lord Jesus Christ, the weaker we become and the more powerful sin becomes in our lives. The closer we are to God, the weaker sin becomes. Sin wants to harden our hearts and lower our affections for Jesus. But how can we know when we are being tricked by a good thing? I found this verse to be helpful. Let us also lay aside every weight. Now, I want you to circle that in your Bibles. Let us lay aside every weight in sin. In other words, there's something else that can slow you down spiritually outside of sin. Every weight in sin which clings so closely, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We need to ask ourselves, does this choice slow me down in my pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is my affections being drawn away from him by doing these things? Sin goal is to pull you away from God. Look at verses 22 to 23. For I delight in the law of God. In my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. Talk to us, Paul. And making me captive to what, Paul? The law of sin that dwells in my members. You have got to respect this man. He's putting it all out there. He's unclothing himself and he's being real. He is truly struggling. He says in his inner being... He delights in God's law. What is the inner being? It means one most inmost personality, which is influenced by the new nature. Paul is talking about his new nature deep down inside of him. The inner man can also be equated to the heart. We see this in Ephesians 3, 16 through 17. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit, where? In the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Let's make sure we got a clear understanding of the inner man. The inner man is where the spirit comes to dwell in us. Paul says, my new nature concurs with God's law. There's a new birth that I have experienced. There's a new heart. These new desires delight in the law of God. And when he talks about law, he refers to the Mosaic law. Paul loved the Mosaic law because it was a reflection of God's holy character. Paul is like deep down inside, I don't want to lie. I don't want to covet. I don't want to have any other gods before you. God, deep down inside, I don't want to do any of these things, but I find myself lying and stealing and cheating, and God, I am a mess. He says, because I see another law in my members. Paul says, in the law of my mind, I want to obey God, but I see another law in my members. What are you talking about, Paul? While Paul loved the Mosaic law, he became aware of another strong force within him. Now, he refers to sin as a law. Paul says he calls indwelling sin another law. Why does he call it a law? When Paul refers to sin as a law, do not see it like you see the law not to run a red light. The law says 
do not run a red light, but it has no force or no influence on you. When Paul calls sin a law, think of it as the law of gravity. Gravity is a law, but it is an active law. And what is it doing? It's pulling us down. What goes up? must come down. That's the law of gravity. The law of sin is that it's a force inside of you pulling you and straining and clawing and scratching, pulling you away from God. And if you're cavalier about your spiritual walk, what's going to happen? Sin is going to pull you further and further and further and further away. I knew that y'all was going to need some help with this, so I brought an example for you guys. Y'all remember Mortal Kombat? Y'all remember Mortal Kombat? Mortal Kombat, that was my show. I mean, it was my movie, and it was the video game that I love. Me and my brothers, we used to play Mortal Kombat all the time. It was a fighting video game. And every time we would play, I would get this one character called Scorpion. Can anybody, come on, there he is right there. Oh, I used to love Scorpion, I, and I used to get him every time. Scorpion was a bad boy, and what made him so bad is that he had this thing, that little snake, that had come out of his hands, and every time his enemies would run away, he would go like this, and then he'll say something. Y'all remember what he said? Get over here. Every time, and his enemies would jerk like this, sling back. Friends, there's a greater scorpion called sin. Every time you start running towards God, scorpion says, get over here. Every time you say, I'm not going to lie no more, Scorpion says, get over here. Every time you say, I'm done with this relationship, it's toxic, I can't do it no more, I'm packing my bags, and what does Scorpion say? Get over here. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in the same perpetual state over and over and over again. Oh, I love Scorpion. He was a bad boy. Boy, them, them, them enemies thought they was getting away, and he'll say, Get over here. All of us said that 2019 wasn't going to be like 2018. And Scorpion yelled over from 2018 six days later and said, get over here. You're not going anywhere. Paul says that Scorpion rages war inside of him, warring against the law of his mind. Talk to us, Paul. The law of sin was constantly and habitually warring against Paul and telling him to get over here. Paul desired in his new nature to fight against Scorpion, but Scorpion kept coming up against him. And no matter how pure he wanted his motives and actions to be, they were continually being contaminated by sin. Paul goes on to say, in bringing me into captivity to the law, principle, of sin, which is in my members. There was a constant struggle in Paul between the new nature and sin nature. And when Paul tried to keep the commandments of the law in his flesh, the result was defeat, discouragement, and inability in his flesh to keep the righteous requirements of the law. Paul find, found himself a prisoner in his own body. The harder he tried, the more discouraged and defeated he became. Friends, you ever been sick and tired of your own sin? You ever found yourself in your kitchen where you fall to your knees and you say, God, I'm tired of doing the same thing. Paul 
looks in the mirror and he realizes that he cannot purify himself. And what does he say? Wretched man that I am. Come on, Paul, preach that word. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, that word wretched there has the idea of exhaustion because of hard labor. This is a beautiful picture of Paul struggling in his flesh to the point of exhaustion to make it obey the law. So Paul is struggling, trying to get his flesh to obey the law. And as I said, scorpion is pulling on him. Paul is trying to purify himself in his own strength. Why is Paul laboring to be free from indwelling sin? Because of this. And I want to make this clear. Why does Paul desire to be free from indwelling sin? And church, this is important. There's a lot of reasons we want to be free from sin. But there's only one motive that really matters. Paul wants to be free from sin because at the core, he loves Jesus. And that you must ask yourself, why do I want to be free from sin? Is it because I want to impress people? Is it because I want to be more religious? Is it because I think I'll be more righteous? Or is it because you love Jesus? Because Paul has come to the conclusion that holiness is better than sin. Holiness is better than sin. One of the marks of maturity is that you see that God's law is not a prison. It's actually the best thing for you. <clears throat> I love the way the psalmist put it. For a day in your courts, it's better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'd rather have Jesus than to be famous. I'd rather have Jesus than to have all the money in the world. I'd rather have Jesus than the promotion. Do you rather have Jesus above it? He says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather open up doors for folks. Didn't have all the money and all the fame and all the people following me. I'd rather be a doorkeeper just so that I can be around him. Now, some of y'all know what I'm talking about, because y'all be stalking folks. And so, yeah, it don't, I just want to be around her, dog. I love her, dog. If I can just be around her, he opening the door. And, no, I'm not. I ain't going to even go there. <laughs> you know you have been born again and tasted life when all you long for is to be like God and with God. Paul has toiled with his flesh, and he finds himself between a rock and a hard place. In his own strength, he can't win. You ever been in your kitchen and failed to your knees? No matter how much he wants to be a glass of pure water, no matter how much he wants to be free of contamination, he cannot do it himself. God brings his children to such a point to teach us dependency on him. There are some things only God can save you from. There are some things that only God can rescue you from. God has a way of putting you in a corner where none of your tricks and none of your schemes and none of your efforts and none of your power can deliver you so that you can say, not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. 
Friends, y'all know God be talking to me in some crazy ways. I'm sitting in the barbershop. I'm getting my hair lined up. This was uh, last Saturday. You know, I'm trying to get it right, and I'm trying to get it tight. I'm sitting in the barbershop, and, and I get in the chair. He puts the cape on me. He begins to do his thing in the barber chair. And you won't believe this. All of a sudden, they turn the TV on. And guess what's on the TV? Animal Planet. Oh, I love animal. I know some of y'all don't get excited about Animal Planet, but I love me some Animal Planet. And you know, when it comes on, they start a thousand feet in the air with the camera, and they come on down into the jungle, and they say, and, 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 and then the commentator says, what? In the jungle, a lion in a gazelle. So at this point, I'm like, I want to see what's on the TV. But he got me angled in such a way that I can't really see the TV. And so I'm trying not to mess up my lining, but I'm trying to figure out what's going on with this gazelle. And so here's the lion. He's crouched in the grass. And, you know, the commentator's like, will the gazelle get away? Will he survive? I'm like, will he, will he, will he, will he survive? You know, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. My barber's like, boy, quit twitching. You're going to mess your line. Now, what about the gazelle? No, I don't know if the gazelle going to make it. So y'all ain't going to believe this. So all of a sudden, the lion goes after the gazelle. But it wasn't one lion. It was two, three, four, five of them. They came in a whole pack. All of a sudden, the gazelle takes off. And y'all know them gazelles. When they jump, they jump real high. They got a little bounce going on. I said, bounce with it, bounce with it. You're doing your thing, gazelle. Run, 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 run. He gets away from the lions. The lion chases him up to the water bank. And, and the lion stopped there. And the gazelle lands on this little piece of land in the middle of the water. I was like, all right, my gazelle, homie, you got away. But he finds himself in a dilemma. Nonetheless, I'm trying to look. My barber didn't turn me again, y'all. I'm mad. It's, you know, it's getting high. It's at the climax. It's better than Bird Box at this time. I'm enjoying myself. I'm like, don't turn me another. I need to see what's going to happen. So now the gazelle is in the middle of this. Eye. He's on the middle of this land in the middle of the He got the lions on one side. Now, here's the thing. You say, just swim to the other side. But on the other side of the piece of land is a water full of crocodiles. And I don't know about you, but you don't want to get bit by no crocodile. They got some of the strongest jaws in nature. They like me. When it comes to my food, I will bite your finger off. Don't play with my food. But anyways, and so the gazelle is in the middle. He's in the middle of a dilemma. If he goes back, the lions will get him. If he goes forward, the crocodiles are going to get him. At this point, I realized that the, 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 that the gazelle has came to the end of himself. There's no tricks up his sleeve. There's nothing that he can do. He's cornered on both sides. It looks ugly. It looks nasty. And out of nowhere, the commentators give some good news. Y'all know we love when good news come in. All of a sudden, he says, nature has made a way out for the gazelle. And he says, he says I, out of nowhere, the gazelle hops in the water. There was a little path that nature had made for him to get away from. Friends, when we come to the end of ourselves, there's someone who's greater than nature, and it's the living God. He'll make a way out of no way. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly. Some of you are in a gazelle situation right now. You got lions on one side. You got crocodiles on the other side. But you better look to the hills, which come at your help, because there's a God that'll make a way out of no way, won't he do it? He'll spread rivers. He'll move mountains. He'll move valleys because he's just that big. He's just that bad. And he's bigger and stronger and greater than sin. God will make a way out of no way. I seen that little gazelle go across that water 
free on the other side because nature made a way. Friends, we look at our mountains. We look at our sin. We looked up how jacked up we are. We look at the man in the mirror. We look at the contaminated water. And we declare to ourselves, God, there ain't no way that I can defeat this thing. And friends, I came to tell you that you said it right. There ain't no way in the world that you can overcome this thing. But greater is him that is in you than the one that is in the world. I wish I had some people that believe that thing. God will give you the strength and the ability to overcome. But before we get beside ourselves, here's the thing that Paul is trying to stress. As I consider myself, I realize that I am contaminated. My desire is to complete, to be completely sanctified. I want to be pure. I want to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my mind, and with all my soul. Friends, the key to sanctification is not about your strength. It's not about your power. It ain't about your history. And it isn't even so much of being like Christ. But it's what Ken said last week. It's about experiencing Christ from within. I tried as I was studying. I was like, God, give me an analogy for them to help understand that, that the key to sanctification is Christ living through us. Not just giving us power. Well, God said, ain't no analogy to explain that. Some things only God can reveal to you. Friends, I came to tell you, sometimes you got to get on your knees and say, God, help me to understand what it is to be a branch and for you to be the vine. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. But friends, when we find ourselves in the middle of the water, we got the devil on one side and your greatest enemy on the other side, which is you. And you ain't got no way out. You looking around. This how, this, this, I say this for the end. That little gazelle was looking around like this. It was scared. And it was paranoid out of his mind. It's like, what am I going to do? But the answer was not inside. The answer was on the outside. And when God put his Holy Spirit in you, he did it not just to save you by the blood, but God wants to change us. He wants to make us a pure glass of water. And we will not obtain it in this life, but we press towards the mark in Christ Jesus to be like him. How do we know that we're arriving? How do we know that we're coming? Let me give you tangible evidence. You'll know that you're becoming more like the Lord when his love is evident in your life. It's when we start treating one another the way Christ treated us. It's when your husband and your wife can look at your life and say, I don't know what got into this man. I don't know what got into this woman, but they're different. And we lay down our lives for one another. You know that you're becoming like him when you can't go weeks and months without his word. God, I don't care what you do. I'll stay here until you bless me. 
until I hear something out of your word. Something happens. Understand, I'm not talking about how to get right with God. I'm telling you what happens when you are right with him. You become a prayer. You pray. And here's the one key thing. You stop depending on yourself. And you start depending on him. Who are you, little gazelle? What are you, gazelle? Against a lion and a crocodile. You're nothing. But if God is on your side. If God is for me. Then who can be against me? 